Matthew, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 33. And, and this is what it says. It says, when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now you have to catch the picture of what's taking place here. It's, it's our Savior on the cross being hung for the sins of humanity, for the sins that had ever been committed and that would ever be committed. It's amazing. Every sin, past, present, and future, he's hung on the tree to cover all those things. And so this is the picture, Jesus, on the cross. And it says this, when noon, that's the sixth hour, when 12 o'clock noon came, when the sun was at its highest point in the sky, when it should have been the brightest of the day at noon, darkness fell over the entire earth until the ninth hour, which was three hours later, till three o'clock. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with, with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. And then he died. Verse 38. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Read that with me, all of us together. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last breath, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Father, we thank you for your son this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you were obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that now we can have life and life more abundantly, so that we can become the righteousness of God through you. We thank you for that today. And again, Lord, I just pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to grab a hold of us this morning transform us today through your word. I pray that our faith would increase in this place. That faith comes from hearing and the hearing from the word of God. And so our faith would rise and rise and rise. Our belief in you would grow stronger and stronger because of this day and because of what you did for us many years ago. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we worship you. We declare you King of kings and Lord of Lord over our lives and over our church, Lord. Receive your glory in this house, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you. You're with us, revealing the word of God to us. And it's in, in your name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Before you're seated, hug three people and tell them this. Say, the veil was torn. Tell them. Say, the veil was torn. The veil was torn. All right. You guys ready for a word this morning? I have a word for you. I'm ready to, to, to preach it to you. Believe that God, God gave it to me. I actually shifted my direction yesterday. 
of which way I was headed. I just love when he does that to me. I'm just kidding. I don't. I actually get aggravated. Um, but <clears throat> he, he changed it on me. And so it was a, it was a late night uh, getting it done. But but really believe that, God, it's timely for our body and, and where we are. Because if you remember last week, right, we talked about how Jesus is the door. Come on, tell your neighbor, Jesus is the door, right? Jesus is the door. This is why we have it, have the door back up here uh, today. And what we talked about was how the, the general function of a door is what? It is to give access or it's to restrict access, so, right? That's what it's to do, to give access or to restrict access. And we talked about how there's all kinds of doors in the natural, right? There's, there, there's bedroom doors, there's front doors, there's back doors, there's garage doors, there's, there's basement doors. There's, uh, we also talked about how we all need bathroom doors to protect those we live with and those we work with. But there's all kinds of different doors. Some doors are glass doors, others are fiberglass doors, others are wood doors, some are trap doors. Well, I hope you don't have a trap door, but if you do, don't invite me to your house. But there's all these different doors in the natural, all these different doors that we can see. Well, there's also doors that we can't see. We can't see them. These are our spiritual doors. And the difference between natural doors and spiritual doors is in the natural, there's all kinds of them, but in the spiritual, there's only two. There's two doors to choose from in the spiritual. And that is a door that leads to life and life more abundantly, or a door that leads to death. Those are the two options in the spirit. There is no in-between. There is not a different door than those two doors. We got to pick one of them in the way we live our lives and chooses if we choose Jesus or we, we don't. And we talked about how the, the, the enemy is so stinking crafty, man. He's so good at dressing up this door that leads to death to make it look like something else something other than what it actually is, to make it look so pleasurable to us, so satisfying to us. He'll make the thing look so beautiful, and he'll offer us what looks to be different doors, right? Doors to pleasure, doors to success, right? Doors to wealth, and doors to happiness, and doors to hope, and, and all these different doors. But at the end of the day, whatever he offers, it leads to one door, and that door is, is death, and what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, is real clear. He says, I am the door. Come on, tell your neighbor, Jesus is the door. Jesus says, I am the door. And notice, 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 he doesn't say, I am a door. Because if he said, I am a door, it would lend itself to there's another door. There must be another door somewhere because he said, I am a door. No, no, he said, I am the door, eliminating all other doors. I'm the door. And if anyone comes through me, they will be saved. They'll be saved. And they will go in and out of me and find pasture. In other words, what Jesus is very simply saying this, if anyone receives me as their Lord and Savior, if they, if they confess with their mouth, right, that I am Lord and believe in their heart that God raised me from the dead and they have given their life to me, if that person there will find sustenance and will, fi will find satisfaction in me. They'll find everything that they need. They'll, they'll go in and out and find pasture. They'll find rest and whatever else. How, how awesome, how awesome is that? Jesus is the, the one-stop shop. Like we all thought Walmart was great. Like, you know, hey, I can go there and buy a tire for my car and some underwear for my kids. And then I can grab a steak on the way out, like all one stop. We thought that was great. 
But Jesus is, is so much better. It's amazing, man. It's whatever we need is found in him, period. Everything we need, if we need salvation, it's Jesus. If we need redemption, it's Jesus. If we need resolution, it's Jesus. If we need provision, it's Jesus. If we need mercy or authority, man, it's, it's Jesus. If we need grace or power, man, healing or comfort or peace, it's, it's Jesus. It's, it's all about Jesus. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, and, and my God, and he's talking to us, he says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus through the door. All of your needs will be met. Every single one of them. It's telling us it's, it's just all about Jesus. Everything our souls long for, everything our hearts thirst for, he's the answer. We just got to go through the door, and Jesus is the door. He's the one-stop shop. We don't need to add anything to him, and we don't need to search for anyone but him. We spend so much time trying to add things that we've got to do when it's only him. Searching for people to make us happy and to fulfill us and looking for these relate. No, 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 no. All of our satisfaction is in him. And when we come to him, he says, then I'll provide the relationships you need. Then I'll provide everything else in this life that you'll need. If you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all those other things will be added. Those are all sidebar issues. And when you go through the main door, the only door, he adds all those things to you anyway. It's amazing. And he's the answer to life, period. Listen, if your marriage is a mess, take your marriage to Jesus. I promise you he'll fix it. I promise you. I've seen it time and time again. Couples come to me ready for a divorce. This is their last ditch effort. They take it to Jesus. Jesus completely transforms their marriage. They got the greatest marriage they ever thought was possible because of Jesus. Your kids are out of control, just like mine. <laughs> Take them to Jesus. Like, I'm always like, oh, Jesus, I'll tell you, you know, do something with these kids. If they're out of control. Take them to Jesus, man. Jesus is the answer to every life problem. And he's the answer to every success in life. It's amazing. You know what I find so cool about the God we serve? Is it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter how big the issue is we're dealing with or how small. He wants us to bring it all to him. Every single issue. It's awesome. It says, in the one that will come through me, I am the door. If they come through me, they will be saved. And they will go in and out and they'll find pasture. They'll find, they'll find satisfaction. They'll find rest. Everything they, they need. This is why Acts chapter 17 verse 21 says, for it's in him. It's in him. It's, it's in him. It's in Jesus. For it's in him that we live, we move and we have our being only in him because, because he's the door. And so we don't need a bunch of different doors, church. We, we don't need them. We don't need a bunch of different options. Even though the world is trying to give you a bunch of options, there's only one real option. It's the door, Jesus. And today I, I want to build off of this illustration, this, this allegory of Jesus 
being the door because it's a very simple illustration. If you remember last week, I said, I said to you, I love simple things. I'm a simple man, right? So I, I need things I can, I can pick up on, right? I don't need it to talk over my head. I need to be able to understand it. And so, and so man, it's a simple illustration, but the meaning is very, very deep. It's a super deep, deep meaning behind it. And so this past week, right, this past week, the Lord, in our personal time together, he kept talking to me about the door over and over. Keith, I am the door. Son, I'm the door. Come, come through me. I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'll give you revelation. Come to me. I will give you access to the Father if you just come. And he kept saying this. And, and man, God began to unravel it for me. And, and so I went and started studying all about it. Because then after he started talking to me about the door, he started talking to me about the veil that was torn in two in the temple. This is what he started talking to me about. And he reminded me of this beautiful, beautiful truth about the veil of the temple being torn in two. And so I went back and I started to study at the door and the veil and the temple and it being torn in two. And now the door is Jesus. And, and it was pretty cool what I seen. And I, I, I found a ton of stuff, but I can only give you a little bit because we only got a little bit of time together. But my hope is real simple. My hope is, is that we, we, we dive into the word of God. I give you some of what I can give you in the 35 minutes I have you but that it stirs a hunger and a deep desire for the word of God in your heart that nothing will satisfy except the word. You won't be satisfied with anything else, anything ordinary, anything worldly, anything fleshly. It'll just be the word of God and you'll dive in and begin to study God's word and see what he says in his word and how true and how beautiful it actually is. But this is what he was talking to me about this, this veil that was torn. And so I went back, started studying about the temple and about this veil and about all that was happening at that time, right, at, at, at that time. And so I actually got a picture of the temple for you. Beautiful architecture, right? This is the temple that was in Jerusalem. It's no longer there, by the way. It's, it's, it's gone. It's, it's no longer there. Actually, the Muslims have, have what they would call administrative control over the mountain of God right now. And so they couldn't build the temple again if they wanted to because then I think it was 1967 when, when, when they became a, a nation, Israel, the way they worked out the peace treaty so that they could become a nation, they said, hey, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let the Muslims have control over this mountain place. And so this is why the temple of God is no longer there right now and they won't rebuild it. So that's the temple, full picture of it. You got the outer courts right, right here. If you guys could go to the next picture, please. Thank you. And so we got the outer courts, and then we got the holy place is right here. It's right here. And then we got the veil, which is here, and then we got the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And see, the veil that you see right there, that veil, was there to separate the most holy place, or the holy of holies, from the holy place. It was literally there to, to restrict access to God. That's what it was put there for. The holy place, this, this place right here in front of the veil, right here, this holy, holy place is where the people of God had to come in to worship God, except that's not the place that housed the presence of God. See, the presence of God was back here. It wasn't here, it was back here, but yet they were stuck right there. The people of God was stuck behind the veil and could not access the presence, 
the presence of God. And let me give you just a little bit of context and a little historical narrative for you. And, and I'm going to do it really quickly. But um, I actually went through this pretty decent at Easter time when we talked about the echo of the empty tomb. I went into it a lot deeper than I'm going to be able to today. But, but just a little bit of, of context for you. See, the presence of, of God was behind this veil in the Holy of Holies, right? B.C. before Christ, this is how the house of God looked. This is, this is the system that God had set up for, for his people right here. The people of God was separated from God. They were stuck on the outside of his presence, not being able to access him. No way to get to him. They were restricted by the veil. And remember, what does a door do? A door either gives us access or it restricts our access. The veil was restricting the access of God to the people of God. And so BC, before Christ, the people of God had absolutely no access. They were restricted from the presence of God, from the person of God. However, they still had to be made right with God. They still had to be, right? They had to be right with him and even with no access to him. And hear me, it wasn't like they had some access. No, 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 they had, they had none. They had none. They had none. No access whatsoever. But they still couldn't just live any old way they wanted they still couldn't just live in their sin. They still had to be made right with God. Still had to repent of their sin and atone for the sins that they committed. And so the system that God had set up for them in order to atone for their sin was called a sacrificial system. Once a year on Yom Kippur, which was the day of atonement, it still happens to this day, actually. But once a year, Yom Kippur, the people of God meaning the whole nation of Israel, would come from all over the region from hundreds of miles away and walk and, and ride camels or whatever to get to the temple on this one day. And, and, and they, what they would do is they would bring a goat with them. And the blood of the goat was meant to atone for the sins that they had just committed for the entire year. That, that, that's, what it, that's what it was. However, they couldn't go into the holy of holies. They couldn't go into the presence of God to offer God the sacrifice. They couldn't go in and access God to say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I, I, help me not to be able to, to do these things ever again. God, help me. They wouldn't be able to do that. They were restricted from God. So they had to rely on someone else to do it for them. They had to go through somebody else. There was only one person once a year that could have access to the presence of God. Only one. And that was the high priest that year. And again, the high priest could only go in once a year on the day of Yom Kippur. The day of atonement. And so the people of God right, would come to the house of God in order to atone for their sins. And they would, they would bring this goat and hand it to the high priest. And the high priest would, would sacrifice this this goat, and the blood from the goat he would put in some kind of bin or however he would store the, the, the blood. And that was supposed to cover the sins of the people. But then he would sacrifice a bull because he needed blood to cover the sins that he did. Because how many know we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? That's what the Bible says. So the high priest is just like us. He's just a person too. And so there was sin on his life. And so he'd have to sacrifice a bull and get the blood of the bull to take it into the holy of holies. He would walk through the veil, he would go behind the veil. 
to access the presence of God. And see, the presence of, of God was the Ark of the Covenant, which I have a picture for you. The Ark of the Covenant, which was a wooden box overlaid with gold, except the lid. The lid was 100% gold. 100% gold. And this is the presence of God. It's what represented the presence of God. You see the two angels with their wings stretched out. Those are cherubims. And in between the two cherubims rested the presence of God, the person of God. The fire of God would rest in between them. And so what the, what the high priest would do, he would take the blood of the bull and walk up to the, to the middle of this where the presence of God was on the Ark of the Covenant. And they called it the mercy seat. And he would sprinkle the blood of the bull on the mercy seat of God. And his sin would be atoned for according to the word of God. And then he would do the same thing with the blood of the goat. He'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And then the people's sins were atoned for. This was the atonement process. And they would be good for a year until the next year came. And they'd have to do it all over again. This whole sacrificial system would, would just do it over and over, over again, every time. Without feeling the presence of God. Without feeling the pleasure of God. Without feeling the peace of God. Without feeling the joy of God. Without feeling any of those things. They would, they would have to do this all over. They would have to live their life without the presence of, of God. Because the veil that we just seen, the veil that was in the house of God, was literally put there on purpose to separate common people like us. Actually, we wouldn't even be common back then. We would be called Gentiles. We couldn't even walk into the temple. We'd have to stay in the outer courts. But we'll make it modern day. We are considered common people because we're not of the Levitical tribe. We're not of the, of the priesthood, right? So, so it was literally put there to separate us from God. And man, I don't know about any of you, man, I wouldn't want to live one day without being able to access the presence of the almighty God. Shoot, I wouldn't want to go one hour without being able to access the power of God, the authority of God, to know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Like, man, I would hate to even go an hour without that. But, but BC, before Christ, this is exactly what the people of God had to deal with. They had to live their lives every day without being able to access the presence of God. And they were, they were required to go through this whole, this whole process by God every single year in order to be made right with God. And so, listen, I say all that I just said to say this one thing. The veil in the temple used to be the door. That's what it served as, as a as the door to the presence of God, it restricted their access. This, this veil was the door. But how excited are you this morning that Jesus came? But Jesus came. Come on, someone shout, but Jesus came. But Jesus came. And this is the beautiful truth of what Jesus has done for you and for me. It's the beautiful truth. It's amazing. And this is what actually the entire book of Mark is laying out for us until it gets to chapter 15 and it's bringing it to an accumulation, right? It's, it's accumulating to this, this head, this point where it all comes to fruition. And what we've got a grasp here of what is taking place is Jesus, the son of God, the only begotten son of the most 
high God came to the earth himself. He didn't send an angel, even though he's the captain of the Lord's armies, even though he is the commander of all of heaven. He didn't send an angel, didn't send his secretary, didn't send his administrative assistant. No, no, he came himself. God in human flesh came himself. He lives a perfect life. Literally perfect. None of us know what that even means. But he did. Perfect and sinless life. The son of God, while he was on this earth, it reveals clear through the book of Mark. While he was here, he displayed the glory of God to the people of God. He healed the sick. He healed the blind, the deaf. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He multiplied fish and the loaves out of nothing. He walked on the water. He calmed the raging seas. He taught the people what it meant to follow God. Tried to teach them how to follow God. But yet, but yet here he is. After he does all that perfect life and does all that, here he is on the cross. And he did all of this to eliminate the sacrificial system. He did all that he did to eliminate religion. This is what he came to eliminate. He came to eliminate the door, the veil that was there to restrict access to heaven. He came to eliminate that. Listen to me, if this is not the greatest news you've ever heard in your entire life, then man, we better hit our knees and get before Jesus and say, reveal it to me, God. If everything in your life doesn't pale in comparison to the truth of what Jesus has done for you, man, then we better be on our face. God, help us realize it. Help us to receive it. Help us to understand this amazing truth of what you did. Because what Jesus did changed the entire trajectory of mankind, of humankind on how they got to know God, how they had access to God. The Bible says that the Son of God, he who knew no sin, became our sin so that we could become what? The righteousness of God through him, through the, the door. Now we're made right before a holy, perfect, and righteous God. And in Mark 15, it's all coming to a head. That's what we, we, we picked up in verse 33. It's all coming to a head. Jesus done everything we just said, and now they're hanging him on a cross. And all of our sin, this is why it says he became our sin. It wasn't like sin was put on him. No, no, he actually became it. He became our sin. And so while he's on a cross, everything we've done, every bad thought, every bad word, every bad deed was stuck on him, and, it, and he became it. And the Bible says he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which literally means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me, Father? Why have you done that? God couldn't even look upon sin, even when it was his own son. Even when it was his own son. Because the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus, the Father couldn't look at him. The father is so holy, so perfect, and so righteous, he couldn't look at his son that was bearing the sin of the world. This is why the veil was put in the temple in the first place, by God. Because our imperfection couldn't be near the perfection of our creator. It could not be. We couldn't handle it. The holiness of who God is. This is why he turned from his son. He had to turn from him because of the sins, our sins upon him. 
when Jesus is on the cross. You know, I find it so interesting with us is because a lot of times we think sin's okay too. Like we're like, ah, yeah, okay, I said that, well, whatever. Okay, I posted that, yeah, who cares? Yeah, I'm running around with this boy or this girl doing God knows what. Eh, it's cool. I'll just, I'll just repent. God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. And I'll just, I'll just move on. We treat it so, so frivolously, but, but the Bible is clear. The Bible says that God detests sin, and he hates the ways of the wicked. It's literally what it says. And he hates the ways of the wicked. All of this is proven to us because he turned from his own son because of the sin on his life. Man, as men and women of God, as people of God, we got to stop being so frivolous in our lives and treating sin like it's no big deal because it's a huge, huge deal. The Bible says we've got to master the sin that so easily entangles us so that it cannot have us. That's what it says. The Bible says we pick up our cross, we deny ourselves, we deny our flesh. Yeah, that looks good, that might even feel good, but it ain't for me because I've gave my life to the king. So I'm gonna leave all that for him. I'm going for him. This is what the Bible teaches. And it shows us just how God detests sin and can't look upon it. Then we see in verse 37, right, Mark 15, Jesus, he, he breathes his last breath and he dies. Let's out a loud cry, the Bible says, and he, and he dies. And then in verse 38, this beautiful verse appears. It says, and right then when Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil was torn. The one in the temple that restricted our access to God was torn in two from top to bottom. This verse could be so easily brushed over, so easily overlooked. Do you know why? Because it's only mentioned in one of the gospels. Mark, that's it. It's only mentioned in Mark, and it's only got one verse. So it'd be real simple just to read over it, breeze over it, and just keep on reading and not understand the magnitude of what just took place. The veil of the temple was torn in two. The very thing that once separated us from God has just been destroyed by the Son of God. This is telling us very clearly that what Jesus did for us, nothing and no one else could do for us. It was only him. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The temple, right, the veil in the temple being torn in two, this is what it did. It was the elimination of priestly intercession and priestly confession. That's what it was. It was the elimination of it. We no longer have to do it. We no longer have to go to a priest and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. Oh, no, I pray right to him. I go right to him. I go right to the Father through Jesus, through the, through the door. I don't go to a priest to confess my sins to him in order to receive forgiveness. I don't have to do that any longer. Because there's only one that can offer you forgiveness and his name is Jesus, that's it. This is why the book of Hebrews is very, very clear. We have one high priest, and his name is Jesus, and we take it all to him. We don't want to come to others and confess our sins for forgiveness to them. They can't give us forgiveness. 
You know, it's funny because people will use the book of James in order to, um, let me see, uh, give credibility to the point of confessing their sins for forgiveness. But see, the book of James says this, confess your sins to one another for accountability and transparency. That's the whole point of the book of James, not so we go to some other dude and ask him or her or whatever for forgiveness. No, 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 they can't give it to you. They just can't. And the Bible is clear. It leaves no room for interpretation at all. It says it right there in black and white. You know, it's funny, right? People will come up to me. Hey, pastor, pastor, I, I really need to confess my sins to you. I'm like, no, you don't. I don't want that garbage on me. <laughs> I got my own stuff. I'm just telling you. I take mine to him. I ain't bringing it to you either. You know what I mean? Like, this is between me and my king, the one who gave his life for me. We don't go to people. It eliminated priestly intercession and priestly confession. It's gone. It's no longer here because the veil was torn in two. You know what else it eliminated? It eliminated the sacrificial system. And all of PETA says amen. <laughs> all the goats are safe. And they're happy about it. We no longer got to kill the goats to grab blood, kill the bulls. No more. It's done. It's over. It's over. Because the blood of Jesus has forgiven every sin ever committed and that will ever be committed. Past, present, and future. This is how powerful the blood of Jesus was. And I don't know about any of you, but I find very amazing solace in the fact that my sins have been, been forgiven once and for all. Jesus paid them for me. He did it for me. It was the elimination of the sacrificial system. It was also the elimination of religion altogether. It's gone. It's gone. The veil created religion because it created a separation from God. You can't have a relationship with somebody that you're separated from. It's hard to have relationship with people you can't be near. Super hard. Super hard. So this veil, it automatically created religion. But Jesus tore the veil to create relationship between you and a holy and righteous God. And Jesus tore the veil so that we could have access into the heavens, into the very presence of, of God. It's amazing. This is why we can come in on Sunday morning Start worshiping God and feel the presence of God all around us. Tears falling down our face or smiling or getting on our face. Just feeling overwhelmed by how good he is. This is why you can get up in the morning and just still in your, your, your underwear or whatever. Sit down and open up the Bible, drink your cup of coffee and feel the presence of God come over you. Because the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. The thing that once restricted our access has been replaced to the one who desires to give you access. He literally came to give you access to the heavens. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's the most amazing news. The veil in the temple was torn from, from top to bottom and you can't breeze over that last little part from top to bottom because saying from top to bottom means that only God could do it. There was no one else could do it. If it was from the bottom to the top, there could have been a conspiracy theory birthed out of it. Like, yeah, some rogue priests got together, you know what I mean? A little rush of disinformation. And they began to rip the veil from the bottom to the top. 
No, no, no. No. It says from the top to the bottom. See, this veil was over 60 feet long. I mean, it was 60 foot in the air. It was over 30 foot wide. Did you know it was over nine inches thick? And it was one piece of material. It was that thick. 30 feet, 60 feet. So in order for these priests to have to rip it, they'd had to somehow build scaffold, clear to the top, grab their hands if they can't even wrap around nine inches and try to rip this thing. And they, it proves that God did it. Which proves to us that God desired a relationship with us. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It goes on into verse 39, and this is what it says. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him, standing in front of Jesus, saw that he died in this way, he said this, truly this man was the son of God. Let me tell you what this means. This is so cool. This means this, that after the veil was torn, the revelation of who Jesus was went forth. Because this man, this centurion, would have seen all the miracles that Jesus performed. He was right there in Jerusalem. He was, he was one of the leading members in society. He was a centurion. He knew all the ins and the outs of what is happening in his city. He would have seen the deaf people here, the blind people healed. He would, have, he would have heard of Lazarus being raised from the dead. He'd have seen all that and heard about every bit of it. But he never recognized who, who this man was until the veil was torn. The revelation of Jesus was released. The veil in the temple kept people from knowing who God was and what God desired. That's why they missed Jesus. That's why they missed him. See, the veil, the veil was the door. But now Jesus is the door. The one that was put there the veil that was put there to restrict your access was replaced by the one that desires to give you access. He created a way when there seemed to be no way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. And this morning, you can touch Him. You can be with Him. You can find complete freedom in Him, complete peace in Him. Because the veil was torn from top to bottom. Now you've got, you've got access to heaven through him. It's amazing. Because he tore the veil from, from top to bottom. Now you can be filled with the very spirit of God. The same spirit that rose Christ from the grave. Now can live in you and live in me. Because the veil was torn from top to bottom. And because it was, we have, we, now we can, we can approach the throne of confidence. With confidence, the throne of mercy. Confident that God is hearing our prayers. Confident that the favor of God is going before us, making every crooked path straight. Confident that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus because the veil was torn from top to bottom. The veil was destroyed by the Son of the Most High God and He replaced it with Himself. This is why He says, I am the door. And I will grant you access if you'll just simply come to me. Just come. All you got to do is come. Come on and stand to your feet, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Yeah, Lord. Holy Spirit, begin to stir in the hearts of all the men and women in this room right now. 
fire of God be released upon your people even now. Presence of the Most High God begin to to draw your people to yourself. Give us a revelation of how, how amazing this truth is. That by his name, he made a way when there was no way. Stir your people even now, Jesus. Listen, I'm going to open the altars up this morning because I really feel like God wants to do something in your life. Whether or not you've given your life to Jesus, maybe you haven't. Well, then come to the altar. We would love to, to pray with you and walk with you to take that step to help you walk through the door. But, 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 but it wasn't necessarily just for salvation. I felt like the Lord was like, no, no, I want to release revelation upon my people. I want them to understand the magnitude of what I've done for them, that apart from me, they can do nothing, but in me, they have everything. And so the worship team is going to sing, and we're going to open the altars. And, and I'm believing this, that as you, you, you leave your seat and come to the altar, that it's going to serve as a symbolic doorway in Jesus. And that's going to be by your faith that you step through, and you're going to receive great revelation this morning of what God actually did for you and what God has called you to do and what God has for you. Man, I'm believing that. So worship team, if you could go ahead and begin to sing and the, the altars are open, church.